So this is uh, part two, as Russell said, of a series called Our Father's Heart. And here's the big idea for the series. It's this, that we can, if we take a slow look at the Lord's Prayer, learn how this prayer, which is fairly familiar to many people, can be a pathway for us to grow in our intimacy with God, our closeness with God. Uh, we just had a little get-together at our house, a family, had a, uh, my mom's birthday, and my brother was over, and my three-year-old, Coralyn, <clears throat> comes into the kitchen and asks, my brother's two years younger than me, um, he asks, she asks Uncle Chris, do you want to come play flowers with me? She has little stackable flowers that you like make your own flowers, kind of like Legos, and of course he said, yes, I would, pretty irresistible. And then after that, they were playing flowers, and she says, after this, would you like to play mommy doctor with me? <laughs> to Uncle Chris, because that's another one of her games. Um, it's pretty irresistible for a three-year-old to ask you to play with them, even when you, I don't really usually feel like playing mommy doctor or flowers, but when you have a three-year-old who's precocious enough to just ask you, will you do that with me, and she assumes that you will want to do it, it does give you a picture of what... God's heart is towards us. If you think that uh, God is more like you than you are like a three-year-old, think again. He's so different from us. And so our expressions to him are a little bit like a three-year-old saying, would you like to come play flowers with me? And actually, God delights to say yes. There's no hesitation, even though sometimes we have hesitation. He has no hesitation to say yes to us. I shared a quote from a book that I would highly recommend. I've talked to a couple other people and said, you should really get it. It's a really thin book, so if you're not a reader, you can probably handle this one. It's a quick read. It's called, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer. And I shared a longer quote. I'll just share a short version of it this morning, which kind of helps to direct this whole series. It's the same idea I had. I actually didn't steal it from him exactly. I read it after I was beginning to plan this series out, but it expresses very much uh, my heart behind, our heart behind this series. Here's the quote. The profound eternal concepts compressed into the Lord's Prayer, if fully grasped by us, can overturn much of our own wrong thinking about God. And so we started last week with the title, Our Father's Daddy Heart. And it can be difficult at times for various reasons, to connect with God's heart as a dad, as a father in heaven. We can say our father in heaven without really connecting toward what it's like to have a heart, a daddy heart towards kids, but that is God's heart toward us. You can go back and listen to that if you missed it. Because actually, if you don't connect with that first phrase, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that actually sets up our ability to connect with God through the second phrase of this prayer, which is actually a fairly difficult pill to swallow at times. The second phrase is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the Father's kingdom. Your kingdom come. We're just going to just look at that first word, your kingdom come. In Genesis 1, you can read at the very beginning of your Bible how God created the heavens and the earth, the whole universe, and he spoke it into existence, 
And that means it's his. Like everything is his. Like whatever you consider your possessions is actually not yours. It all started with God. He created all of the atoms that make up everything that you think you own, that I think I own. I wonder if we're okay with that, that God claims the own, as, has ownership, ownership rights over all of existence. In Psalm 50, verse 12, he gets really explicit. The psalmist writes this poem, and a big part of it is from the first person, as though it's from God's point of view. And God says this, the world and everything in it is mine. He's not saying that like a three-year-old, mine, mine, when a neighbor or a sibling tries to take their toy away. He's saying it from the sense of reality that because he created it all, it has to be his. Are you okay with the reality of God owning everything? Which means he gets to say how it's used? Which means he gets to say how you use it? Or don't use it? Or is that a little uncomfortable? Every physical possession, every person, every atom, every molecule, every thought that goes through your brain, every feeling or experience, God declares ownership over all things. And if we really understand our role in this universe, it's that we are a steward, which means that we caretake some of God's stuff for a short period of time. That's actually more reality. And of course, we're not just employees. So don't separate the fact that we're also sons and daughters. It's like you're a son steward. So it's like if you, if you were the son or daughter of the king of, let's just say, Switzerland a thousand years ago, maybe Switzerland probably wasn't even a country back then, but if you were a son or a daughter, you'd probably be given responsibility in that kingdom to take care of part of your parents' kingdom, business, life. And so that's kind of how it is with God. We're his sons and daughters, and he says, here is your assignment to take care of a part of my kingdom. It's pretty exciting. It's a pretty cool job description. Because he's, he's not just a king. He's our king who also is our father. He's both. He's our king and he's our father. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God, when Jesus was in the flesh on this planet, was the foremost topic on his mind. When he started his ministry, you can look at it in several of the Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, this is how John, Jesus started his ministry. After John was arrested, that was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, he says. Here's the first words. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus' focus was on his heavenly Father's kingdom. The good news was about the kingdom. And how do you get into the kingdom? How is the kingdom breaking in? The good news is that God is reigning and repenting, which is turning from your own way and turning to God's way, is the way that you enter into the kingdom. And that's actually good news. We think of repenting sometimes as not good news because it means I have to explain to God or confess to God how I am wrong or how I've been wrong. And that's not bad. That's actually good because that helps us to enter into God's kingdom. 
Here's the next verse, 16 of Mark chapter 1. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Andrew was Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left, immediately, don't miss that word, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Guys, here's why cotton would exist. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. When Jesus started his ministry, he said the kingdom of God, good news, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. And then the very next sentence or two that he said is he found a few people and he said, hey guys, follow me. That is how the kingdom of God breaks in. Immediately, these guys stopped what they were doing, gave up their careers, at least temporarily. At the time, it ended up being forever for many of them and started to follow Jesus. I want to have a little side note here, and that's this. Uh, The governing state when Jesus started preaching was not good. The kingdom at the time was messed up. And a lot of his disciples wanted a king who would bring about political change. In fact, Simon called, or Peter, Jesus called, I'm sorry, Jesus called several disciples. This one is Simon and Andrew. There's another Simon that he calls. And Simon, the other Simon, is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot would have been like a political radical who was ready to bring about the new kingdom of Israel. And I love that Jesus called him as well. Because I think it's a sign to us that Jesus' kingdom is not on this planet in the same sense that other kingdoms are. It's not a political kingdom. It's not a kingdom about the governing state. It is something bigger, deeper, and more far-reaching. He goes on to say at the end of Matthew chapter 6, he says this, verses 33 through 34. This is all one part of a sermon. Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that is God's, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's some questions I'm prompted to ask myself when I think about this verse. Do I think seeking first God's kingdom will lead me to worry about tomorrow? About what will happen in our country? About the hard things I might face personally? About the deception, corruption, or evil working behind the scenes? I'm not not commenting on whether that's happening or not. It's happening. And it's been happening since Jesus started preaching. It was a pretty, I mean, he he was nailed on a cross for doing nothing. And the government allowed it to happen. Do I think that worrying is God's way in the kingdom? Do I think that fear about what tomorrow will bring is God's way in the kingdom? Do I think anxiety about all that is God's way in the kingdom? You know the answer. I know the answer. The answer is no, and no, and no. And yet I have to tell you that it's really easy that I can fall into the opposite thought pattern. And you know what we need in those moments? We need to say, your kingdom come. Jesus' kingdom was a matter that started here in the lives, hearts of people, and then it came out of them into the way that they lived in the world. It didn't start with changing 
the way the world works so that people will change. It starts with people changing so that the world will change. That's always been his way. And if we're worried, if that is a primary ex- experience of ours, I, I'm just going to say it out loud. We need to reevaluate how we're thinking about God, our daddy in heaven, who is also the king over everything. Because he's in control. And he's not concerned about what's happening, not in the way that we might get worked up to, be concerned about. Here's the second. We're going to finish this phrase. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom coming or breaking in, I would contend, your kingdom come, which means I want your kingdom to come, God, is the most important cause or experience or event that can happen in this world. Do you guys think that you'd have, do I think that I would have anything to worry about if God's kingdom had full, is fully come right now? Would we be worried about the direction of our country? Would we be worried about job security? Would we worry about our investments? Would we be worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? It's an easy answer, isn't it? No, we would not have anything to worry about. We would not have anything to be anxious about. Your kingdom come, that is the most important thing. For it to happen in this world, for it to happen in a life, for it to happen in me. Your kingdom come. If we really pray that, I think the question we have to ask is, where is God's kingdom breaking in? Because it is. It is. It's happening right now. Do I have eyes to see where God's kingdom is breaking in, in me, in lives, in the world? And then the question then is, how am I partnering to bring about the expansion of God's kingdom breaking in? Is there a way I can better partner with God's kingdom coming? Okay, guys, this is why this message is so difficult, because saying your kingdom come, honestly, from the heart, requires a scary level of surrender and trust. It requires us to say, I'm not driving, you're driving. I'm not directing, you're directing. That's why the prayer starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you and I haven't experientially and transformatively transformatively met the Father in heaven, our Daddy, God, if you don't have the intimate, tender contact with and the connection to God's Daddy heart for you, if you haven't become personally acquainted with the character and nature of our Father in heaven, I would say this, it may be impossible, likely is impossible, for you to say with sincerity, your kingdom come. Because it's really hard to say that to someone you don't fully trust. That I don't really fully believe that God is good about. So that's the question that we have to ask is, for me to say your kingdom come, do I believe that God is a good king, that he's my tenderly loving father, and that he has good intentions toward me in his kingdom? Do I feel it in my bones, not just know it in my heart? Do I experience it in my Sorry, not just know it in my mind, but experience it in my heart. Because then the next phrase gets even harder. Like Jesus says, this isn't an easy road. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. So part of this is easy. God has actually revealed through the, what we have now as the Bible, a lot of his will, the written word of God, reveals God's will pretty clearly. There's a lot 
It's not, God's will isn't so slippery that we can't figure out a lot of what his will is. There's a lot that's pretty clear in the pages of this book. Isn't it interesting that it's easy to neglect this? We want God's will on one hand, and on the other hand, it's really easy to neglect how he's revealed it to us in this book. I wonder why that is. Actually, I do know why it is. There's several reasons. One is we're in a spiritual battle, and the enemy of God really doesn't want anyone to live under God's will. And so if you wonder why it's sometimes hard to read the Bible, it's actually because God's enemy is also your enemy if you have a desire to be under God's will. And so he really wants to distract you. He really wants to discourage you. He really wants you to pretty much just do anything else other than learn more about how to live under God's will. That's part of it. The other part of it is, and you probably know this even more deeply, I know this, there's a part of me that actually has its own will, right? Would anybody describe you as stubborn? Never. Yeah, not me either. At least there's two of us here. (laughs) That's because our will, we don't, let's just own it, we don't want to submit to God's will. There's a part of us that just doesn't. We want our own way. So why read about what God wants if it's kind of like I just want my own way? It's easier to just do my own thing. Jesus is our big brother. Did you know that? He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the one that Father in Heaven gives charge of to direct the planets. But he's also our brother. If we're adopted into God's family and the Father is the Father and the Son is the Son, then we're sons and daughters as well, and that means Jesus is a big brother. He models for us what it's like to say, your will be done. In Matthew 26, near the end of his life, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows that he is being asked to do the hardest thing that any person has ever been asked to do. Nothing harder than what Jesus would face. And it wasn't just the pain of having spikes hammered through your wrists and your feet, because other people experienced that. Jesus, God asks, had asked, has asked many other Christians to suffer and die for their faith, but what God has never asked anyone else to do is to drink the cup of the Father's wrath against all the sin of all people for all time. And Jesus knew that's what he was going to have to do. And so he says this um, to his disciples. He's with them in the garden, Matthew 26, verse 38 through 42. He says, I am deeply grieved. By the way, if you're uncomfortable with that word feeling, just notice that Jesus is expressing his feelings right here. I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, So I'm going to skip because what ends up happening is his best friends fall asleep every time. Like, deep grief. I'm almost going to die. Sort of like, if you know of someone who's been in deep grief, we've experienced grief grief in our family. I'm, I'm so broken, I'm going to die. 
Will you stay with me for a while and fall asleep? We're weak, aren't we? I'm more like one of those guys. <clears throat> Again a second time, Jesus goes away and prays, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then... Verse 44, after leaving, they came back, he's asleep, they're asleep again. Jesus goes again. After leaving them again, he went away and prayed a certain time, saying the same thing once more. Three times, three times, Jesus cries out earnestly, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. The absolute surrender, even in the face of the worst thing that anyone could ever have to face. Here's the key thought from this passage. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. On earth has two different meanings, I believe, in this passage. Here's the key thought. God is actively causing his kingdom to break through on earth. On this planet, this is happening one life, one heart, one person at a time saying, your will be done to God. Earth has two Two meanings. And actually, if, if you, I couldn't recommend more highly the book, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer, for the pages um, on this phrase that he, 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 he records a story that I wish I had time to tell about watching a potter in Pakistan, an old guy who's been making things out of clay his whole life. And He's reminded over and over of this passage in Jeremiah 18, which describes God as a potter and us as a lump of clay, a lump of earth, okay? There's the second meaning, the planet earth and us as chunks of earth because we're made out of earth. The first man is made out of earth. I won't tell the whole story. You should go read it. But here's the point of the story. Can I say to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in me. Not just this planet. It's really, isn't it easy to say on earth, like, God, make everything good on the planet as though you didn't have a part of it. It's really easy to play that. It's a little harder to say on this, on this piece of clay, Lord, press wherever you want to. Smash that clump of clay and start over if you want to. That's hard to say, isn't it? Harder to say. So when I was in college, I was transformed from a person who believed the right things about Jesus into someone who finally realized that Jesus actually wanted to lead and control and direct every part of my life, which is a big difference. I was I've always been, uh, we had a questions night on Wednesday here where the teens could ask, and parents could ask any question they wanted about anything, and we would answer them. And uh, I love that sort of thing, and I've always sort of loved that sort of controversial, let's have a debate. And even when I really wasn't following Christ or caring about him changing my life, I would still argue with anyone who wanted to about how Christianity was true and what the Bible said was true. Excuse me. While I was in college, one of the, one of many things that God used, it was kind of a repeated pattern, kind of one of those, like, God finally gets your attention as the same message keeps coming from this place and from that place and from this place. One was an encounter in Romans chapter 12. As I read that, I felt like for the first time it probably wasn't, and I, 
and I realized that God wanted me to be a living sacrifice. And another was through this booklet. Uh, uh, do you have a picture of that booklet up there? My Heart, Christ's Home. I actually, if shipping would have been cooperative, I was going to give you all a copy. One of, looks like the blue one, so I'll have that next Sunday. You can grab one. Actually, please grab one. Don't grab one if you don't want Jesus to uh, get a little bit more a hold of your life. Just leave it on the table because that would be too uncomfortable if you don't really want Jesus to get a hold of your life. But if you do want Jesus to have more a hold of your life, this booklet might actually have something to say. It's a sort of an allegory that I think, it, I think he's a Presbyterian pastor. I'm not, I can't remember exactly. But he sort of has like a, a dream or a vision that he writes down, and it's, it's as though his life is a house. And Jesus is invited to come in. And he goes through each room in the house. Start off by going into the library, which represents your thoughts, the things you read, the things you watch, the images that are in your mind and that you look at. That's how they get in your mind. And Jesus asks, can I be in here? Then he goes into the dining room, which represents what I consume, what I live for. Do I live for myself or do I live for God? It's sort of the room that represents my pursuits or my desires. And Jesus is asked, can I live here? And then there's the living room, which is where the author in the first person, where you live with God, where Jesus, the picture is Jesus every day is waiting in the living room to meet. And at first I'm excited to go and spend some time with Jesus, but then I notice missing a day here and rushing past the living room and I'll, I'll, I'll come in later, Jesus. And then there's the workroom. What do I produce with my life? Am I making the most out of what God has given me to produce something that will last, the question is asked. And then the rec room, which represents where and who I have fun with. And I love this part where the author is going out with some friends and Jesus asks, can I go along? And he's a little embarrassed. Maybe not, on, maybe not tonight, Jesus. Maybe, maybe tomorrow we can hang out with some different friends in a different place. And then the part that really got me, there's a hall closet. And as Jesus has been living in the house for a while, he says, something stinks. Actually, it smells like there's something dead in the house. And it's coming from the hall closet. And the author begins to tremble. Not that closet, Jesus. You can go anywhere you want in my life. You don't really want to go in that closet. The part of our life that we hide the things we don't want anyone to know about either past or current. You would never want Jesus to have to clean up the smelly, putrid mess that's behind those doors. And the author wrestles and finally allows Jesus to go in. In the end, the author says, it probably would just be best if I signed over the deed of this house to Jesus because he'll do a better job taking care of it than I can. And that's really what it means to say, your will be done. So I really meant to have a copy of this for you so you could read it yourself, whatever. I don't know. I, I don't blame the truckers in Canada for this. I actually don't blame anybody for it. You know how it is. But 
things didn't get here on time. There should have been no way. It wasn't here on time, but it didn't get here on time. We'll have them next week or maybe the week after. But what about you? Will you would you consider that? Just signing over the deed of your life, every area of your life, Jesus, you can have your way in me. Every area, even the areas I hold back. Here's some questions. God, where am I longing for your kingdom to come in my life, in this world? Where am I, Daddy, where am I opposed to your kingdom coming? Daddy, where are you inviting me to join you in your kingdom coming and breaking through? Here's truth. God has been and he continues to be actively working to bring about his kingdom on earth. He's doing it now. He's never stopped doing it. And it happens one life, one heart, one person saying your will be done at a time. That's how it happens. And you and I can be part of that. (laughs) The last phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Heaven is a real place where God really rules And heaven is a place where he insists, for now, the earth, he does not insist that all of his will be followed for a time. He's actually giving time for us to willingly choose to come under his rule or not. Heaven is a place where his will is always done because that's always what's best. God is not a totalitarian despot. He actually wants what's best for every person. So he doesn't make everyone bow. He could. He could. It's been said that he's sort of like a gentleman. A gentleman doesn't force another person to make a choice against their will. So we have the choice to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can say, your will be done to God, or with our lives, at the end of our life, God will say to us, okay, have it your way. And he's not going to force anyone to live under his rule in heaven. He's not going to force it. You can choose to come under my rule, to come under my kingdom, or you can choose not to, and you can have it your way. God is ruling right now, He's going to rule forever. He's going to fully restore his rule in a new heaven and a new earth one day. And so my question is, is will you say this to God? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, this is not an easy prayer. We're going to close us with a song. Actually, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer together. After we say that, we'll close with the song. The song is, Lord, I need you. We actually need God's help. If you feel like I want to say your will be done, but I'm not sure how, you can just say, Lord, I need you. I want to say your will be done. I'm not sure how, and he'll meet you there. Or I want to want your will be done in my life. But let's stand. Next week, Ben Sigpen is going to share on God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I hope you'll come back and join us next week. But let's stand, I'll pray, and then the words will come on the screen when you can sing the Lord's Prayer alongside of us, uh, me, and then we'll sing this closing song, Lord, I Need You.
Jesus, give us the grace to say this hard prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to believe deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, that your kingdom coming, your will being done is your best, that your desires, that your wishes would come on earth, would come in my life. And that just as your perfect rule and reign are happening right now in heaven, that they would become more and more real in my life. Give us grace to really say these words honestly to you. Join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.